Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Rowan Sanderson. Rowan is a member of the team at the raw pet food company called Bella and Duke, which is based in Scotland. Rowan is a practitioner of functional diagnostic nutrition whose ultimate obsession is asking why, followed by solving the question, how can we fix this? He is also a qualified bulletproof coach and is currently doing further training with Chris Cresser from the California Center for Functional Medicine. Rowan, thanks so much for coming on to the show uh, today. Hey, Gary, thank you for the invite. I'm very excited to be here. And I forgot to add in your intro there, um, you're passionate about saving dogs. You gave a great intro uh, before we, we came on the call. <laughs> I like the way we've already pulled back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, one of my major passions is saving dogs' lives and improving their health because I believe their health span can match their lifespan. And that mm. up until now, we've been kind of wandering around in the dark. So I will say no more about that because this is your show. <laughs> well, you know, the, you're going to be the first person on the show talking about raw pet food. And it's it for people who have been listening to the show, they're thinking, but I've talked a lot about other dietary things in humans. Why am I going with pets? And I find the world of pet food interesting because it does tie in with with. Um, human diets where at the moment I've been exploring a lot with the carnivore diets in the human side of things and so people yeah. eating an all meat diet and uh, I could see too that in the veterinary world and in the pet world there's a massive debate about raw food versus I guess commercial processed foods and so uh, it's it's really exciting to sort of see the debate that's going on in this world and I wanted to sort of go down that route now where um, I guess my first question for you would be is what exactly is raw dog food? Well, it's a really interesting segue that you've put in there between human diets and, for instance, raw dog food diets. It's far from it, – let's start with what it's not. It's not a religion that everybody is being ultra fastidious about. And if it is, then people need to step back on it. What we are endeavoring to do is roll out an evolutionary specific diet, which fits with the dog's biology and works with the dog rather than, it, it's almost like juddering up against the dog's metabolism and creating endemic inflammation. So, <clears throat> I appreciate this is a headline question and we're probably going to explore what the verse is and what this is. Um, really, for me, it's an evolutionary specific diet which helps lower inflammation, improves the longevity of dogs, can improve mitochondrial functioning and is ultimately accessible and easy to digest. So it provides a complete essential array of nutrients. Now, each specific dog is going to be in a different place on its health journey, so may need additional help depending on where it's got to. But in a one-liner, raw dog food should be, in an ideal world, and what we believe we've created is the most hypoallergenic dog food on the planet, is something which lowers inflammation rather than creates it, which nourishes rather than creates disease 
and which the dog can access the nutrients in. Fantastic intro there. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly uh, what I believe humans are looking at too, you know, when we're exploring different dietary approaches, um, you know, so should I eat this or not that? And um, same kind of, that's what I love about this. It's like the same issues the owner of the dog could be having, the dog could be having. So the inflammatory processes, the mitochondrial dysfunction, um, obesity, diabetes, it's all nutritionally linked again. Oh, and, and, and this is exactly, I mean, this is such a beautiful place to start because this is the evolution of the story, if you will. I was looking after a client who Mark, the CEO of the company, happened to know very well, and they'd recommended me to them. And they were like, well, look, there's a load of easy marks in the dog food industry. And it's a similar template, albeit obviously there's idiosyncrasies between humans and dogs of course one's omnivorous one's carnivorous um one produces amylase to digest starches one doesn't or very very little so what we've done is we've taken all of the lessons that we've learned from my online functional health clinic the modern sensei and all of these human problems which we're seeing pancreatitis ibs hormonal issues arthritis Autoimmune diseases, whenever I see an autoimmune disease, even if it's something as minimal as itchy skin, that to me is a symptom that there is a dysfunction at an underlying level. And food is inevitably part of that jigsaw, whether it's food and parasite and bacteria or food and external stressor from environmental chemicals or a combination of all of these. Food is a major part. It's what constructs our cells. It's what instructs them to function properly it what is which allows the whole atp process and dogs are similarly constructed of food i always say to my patients or clients if you're not sure about what to eat have a look at what you're putting into your mouth and decide if that's what you want to be in three months <laughs> <laughs> it's a really easy paradigm and i guess you could use that same thinking with your pets too it's just like well, yeah and this is it. This is exactly what we're doing. Yeah. So just coming back to that concept of raw. So when we mention the word raw, we're actually we're talking about uncooked food here. So uncooked um, animal proteins, meats, bone, cartilage, the whole shebang. Exactly. And there are a couple of points to this. So raw is uncooked. And the, there's a, a list of detractions and there's a list of positives. By having it raw, it's in the form that dogs have evolved to eat it. Um, by having it raw, it has a, an array of potentially beneficial bacteria which will populate the dog's gut lining, its microbiome, and improve its immune system. By having the bones raw, they're actually very digestible and more likely or less likely to splinter and cause issues is cooked bones which create problems rather than raw bones because they become more brittle and more friable um and by <laughs> and ultimately it makes it a lot easier on the dog's digestion now there's always an argument that you can increase some bioavailability of nutrients by cooking things if we want to create something that's evolutionary specific and works with the dog's biology rather than against it, 
name me the last time you saw a couple of wolves sitting around in the forest having a cookout, baking a bit of reindeer that just caught. It doesn't happen. Dogs have not evolved to do that. Man, yes. Dogs, less so. And I guess my always my question when I think about this is, so before the invention of processed dog foods and pet foods, dogs were around before that so how did they survive without processed foods it, it kind of like and and in this case they would have scavenged and also hunted for different animals in this case well yeah absolutely a species specific diet is exactly how they survived and scavenged um and we evolved together we evolved together with mutual benefits you know dogs brought protection and increased success of the hunt, we shared the spoils with the dogs. So we live to work in harmony, and the, the sum of the parts is is greater than each individual. Um, it, to answer your question, and this for me is gavel down, case dismissed every time, is before the invention of processed dog food, dogs were remarkably healthier. They were longer-lived, they had less disease. Since the introduction of processed dog food, dogs' health issues have gone through the roof. So if I was to ask you and say, Gary, give me a rough guesstimate on pancreatitis in dogs in the last five years, and let's contextualize it and say, this isn't in the US, it's not in Australia, it's not in the UK. How much do we think it's increased in the last five years? So pancreas, I mean pancreatitis in dogs. Um, uh, I don't know, ten percent increase. I, I, I'm not sure on that one. I, it's it's more around the eight hundred and fifty percent. Okay, I was way off. <laughs> so when people say, "Oh my goodness, this raw dog food is really new," well, one, no, it's not. It's how dogs have actually evolved and thrived and survived since word dot because dogs didn't have access to pressure cookers or whichever it, that's how they've evolved so raw is not new it's actually the old way and this is just a return to the old way of methods which allowed dogs to evolve and grow mm -hmm. and propagate um, but with a few new scientific tweaks very much like the biohacking community there's a lot of people who say well we all evolved in caves. That doesn't mean we're going to live in a cave. We want to implant the correct template to allow us to survive in our modern caves using the lessons from the past. So quite often they'll say, well, you know, it's new and it's not proven. Well, point one is it's not new. It's since since day dot. Dogs evolved from wolves, the grey wolf, on this diet and have been doing great until we interfered. Point two is Dog's health has massively deteriorated on the current processed food diet, exactly the same as humans. With the, with the levels of obesity we're seeing in the UK population at all, we've got to admit that hormonally, the diet that people are currently on is not serving them. A third of the UK are obese, pretty much. That, that doesn't, that's not everybody with an eating disorder. That's people eating the wrong things which are sending the wrong signals to their body because they've been given the wrong information. So I look at those two and I think, then the third part is dogs going onto this diet are having astonishing recoveries. Reversal of diabetes symptoms, 
lowering, and this is really important, schizophrenia in dogs. There's a huge amount of dogs that suffer from schizophrenia on the high sugar, high starch diets, which, as we discovered in the 1920s, as soon as you put them on a keto approach, goes away. It's more effective than any medication they're currently using in the dog world. That's fascinating. I didn't even sort of consider the mental health aspect for dogs um, and pets because I've, I've interviewed um, some carnivore diets, um, people like Michaela Peterson and Amber O'Hearn, and, yeah. and they found a really massive benefit for mental health when they went on an all-meat diet. But in this case, we're talking about dogs and, and pets, and, and they too suffer mentally by eating potentially the incorrect diet and, and switching them back onto their more raw food or meat or uh, you know bones cartilage all of that stuff it actually they, they you get a mental change in the animal oh hugely and people are noticing that anxiety issues are being reduced but if we pull out of that for a second and think about it from a human perspective if we assume that about 70 percent of our serotonin is made in the lining of our gut if we're eating something which is increasing inflammation well, of course, we're going to get depression. Of course, we're going to get intestinal permeability. And intestinal permeability lets bacteria, be it good or bad, flood into our bloodstream. And they're all covered in lipopolysaccharides that create brain inflammation. We've got anxiety. We've got anxiousness. We've got depression. We've got lethargy. We've got endemic inflammation. And I always look at this same thing humans, same things dogs is as soon as we see a degree of intestinal permeability, well, you're just paving the way for autoimmune disease to flick on and to play to the worst or the, the, the less favorable part of your genetic signature rather than amplifying the more positive. So feeding an incorrect food which challenges the dog's digestion is effectively a huge stressor. And I don't know... And, and this is what bamboozles me. I'm not going to fall into the trap of eluding conspiracy theories and massive amounts of cash and big farmer or big kibble or vet or whichever. That's separate and distinct. Let's stick to the science. I don't know any other industry in the world which is advocating junk food as a way for health. Hmm. You know, would you come out of, you know, heart surgery and the doctor said, can you uh, rock over to a famous hamburger franchise and fill yourself up on inappropriate food? It just doesn't, it doesn't scan. Yet there are people coming out of vet surgeries and then saying, oh, by the way, we've got on this, on the shelf, a bag of this highly processed, full of advanced glycated end products, non-digestible food for your dog. And that's that's why I find it, it fascinating is so that so these ba bags of dry food, um, which is kibble. I was I'm learning new terminology in the in the pet food world. Um, that that is a form of like looking at cereals, is it in the human form? It these processed foods and it's exactly yeah, it, it, it's it's exactly the same. And if we think that cereal was developed by two religious ministers working in an asylum who wanted to lower people's libido and effectively impair their uh, hormonal expression, well, go figure. <laughs>
Yeah, and that's again. This is what's so fascinating is that sort of connect between hu- the current human dietary um, debates and also the pet food debate. And there's a lot of crossover that's happening here. Um, so that de- that question then that some people would have is: Is raw pet food nutritionally deficient compared to these processed foods that you'll be able to buy in the vet, which has been scientifically formulated to to be something um is there any what how would you answer that debate um by suppressing a huge bout of laughter and trying to be useful rather than damning (laughs) so um effectively let's look at what kibble is it's super processed it's been highly heat treated it's full of oxidants and it's and it's very starchy okay Dogs produce, dogs are carnivores. They have not evolved to thrive on a high starch diet. So if we ignore the fact that kibble is basically a super cheap product, normally made with mechanically recovered leftovers from the human food industry, and it's using up lots of things like corn starch, which are very high sugars, super high glycemic load, and glycemic index, which we know are linked to inflammation and normally has a serial component, which I don't care if people are celiac, non-celiac, celiac dependency, ultimately serials create zonulin release and intestinal permeability. That's just a fact. So even if, even if kibble was nutritionally whole, and that's the best guesstimate because dogs ate a very varied diet when they were in the wild, you know, whether it's a pigeon or scavenging this or, you know, even eating grass, we'll see dogs eating grass. Dogs eat a very varied diet. They're designed to thrive, albeit on a predominantly carnivorous diet. The delivery method of kibble is utterly beset with biochemical traps. It's a bit like Homer trying to get back from, you know, on his odyssey. You know, first there's the whirlpool, then there's the sea serpent, then there's the attack of the sirens. It's the same thing. Kibble's got them all. You know, it's got highly heat-treated, advanced glycated end products which bind to proteins and damage DNA. It's full of sugar, which actually creates arthritis because it creates inflammation. The intestinal permeability is a huge correlation with autoimmune disease expression. So even if they say, oh, it's got exactly the ratio of vitamins and minerals, it's basically like giving them in a cigarette. Um, you know, it, it's the delivery method which is really flawed. The raw food is actually more nutritionally dense. We don't need to add vitamins and minerals into it because it's whole, it's natural, it's accessible, and the dogs can digest it. Now, being entirely transparent, some dogs do struggle because the kibble, with it being so starchy, is hugely uh, raises the dog's pH, so it lowers the acid level of the dog's gastric juices. So there's normally a little period when the dog actually dials in and goes, oh, wow, I'm a carnivore. This is what I'm meant to be eating. And it can have a couple of days overlap where it's difficult to digest until their body catches up and they start taking all the nutrients. It's like creating hypochloridia in humans. We see that constantly. So you can give the dogs, and we're just working on this at the moment, some food enzymes, and they slip into it seamlessly every time. But, you know, let's face it. If you were to give the dog 
a choice of some really healthy human grade meat or some cereal, what do you think your dog's going to choose? Yeah. And it's that instinct factor again there, which um, I think you, people might notice that, that that their pet is drawn to. You know, as you mentioned, bones earlier is a big one. I mean, everyone I think who probably has a dog lo- loves to give it a bone because it just loves that bone and yeah. and burying it. Because um, what you mentioned earlier too, just coming back to that, was a microbiome. Um, because the microbiome starts in the mouth and then goes all the way down the intestinal yeah. system. So, it's just fascinating with dogs where we try to sterilize a lot of things in the world. But if you look at what dogs will do, they'll take a bone and they'll bury it. And it's in the soil for how long and then they dig it up and they, they bring it back out again. And I mean, so their their microbiome in their mouth must be so different. Oh, it, it, it's designed to be. That's the only reason that dogs are still here. I mean, I've got a beautiful little dog who surprised me with five puppies a couple of weeks ago. Um, She loves romping around in fields, eating stuff off the beach. Oh, that's a smelly old this. I'll put that in my mouth. You know, and then, oh, let me reward you with a kiss. No, thank you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Your microbiome is your business. My microbiome is my business. Um, But that being said, Gary, there are lots of studies which are showing longevity in pet owners. And part of that is attributed to their increased microbiome diversity. And this is sometimes where the scaremongers jump in and say, oh, raw food, there's campylobacter in it, there's salmonella, whichever. Well, one, we freeze the food for, I think it's about eight or nine days. So that kills that. We flash freeze it without taking the goodness out of it. And second, so it can be defrosted easily at home. The second thing is, in my human clinic, we test people's gastrointestinal tract all the time. And it's super rare for me to not see commensal bacteria such as E. coli, salmonella, and other things in the human biome. The issue is not that they're present. The issue is if they don't have enough good bacteria to keep them in check. So when people see this and go, oh, my goodness, we're under attack. Well, no, hang on. That's just part of a normal, healthy bacteria. Um, If you've got all of these billion CFUs of healthy bacteria, they're going to be keeping those in check and they can all coexist. And this happens the same in dogs then. So they, they're getting exposed to all of these different elements. As you said, you know, they pick up something off the beach or whatever and they've got it in their mouth, but, but they don't get sick. No, it strengthens their environment. And dogs will go out and sniff things which they believe are a source of more healthy bacteria. So do you think then, is that potentially, I'm just thinking of the difference of where people own dogs in, in say, a rural farm community is a very different environment for a dog versus if you have a small pet and you're living um, in an apartment block in a major city. Um, th- th- sort of even that environmental factor and that biome um, that the dogs get exposed to. Yeah, it's a wholly different suite of bacteria, but it's also a wholly different suite of environmental toxins as well. Mm. I mean, if we were to look at this, there's an Australian farmer who's got some, I think, shelties or similar kind of rural working dog who's recently been in the press. And basically, he's feeding his dogs. You you appreciate this as a fellow biohacker. Effectively, he intermittently fasts his dogs. He feeds them on raw dairy from pastured cows, 
Uh, I think he gets kind of like feeds them once or twice a week. And he's had, I think, three dogs now live to over 30 years old. 30? Yes. And Mark and I did a podcast recently about should all dogs, is that their genetic potential? You know, if we were to look at dogs' telomeres, ultimately, do they have the potential to live to 30? In fact, it's us that are killing them along with the environment by giving them processed food. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because just as a reference range, don't most dogs only live into the late teens, maybe early 20s if they're lucky? Uh that hugely depends on the species of dog. So, for instance, as a general tend, uh, trend, the smaller dogs are, are more long-lived, but it depends. It really depends on how bred, bred they are or inbred they are to actually create a pure breed. I mean, this goes into a whole different sway of non-dog food dependent mm-hmm. things. What we're trying to do is, and what I believe is happening is, we are mitigating breed deficiencies and maximizing the breed efficiencies by lowering in inflammation and giving them as much nutrition as their bodies can take on board. And then using some intelligent supplementation and lowering environmental toxins. And that's what our group's all about is sharing and evolving much like a biohacking community as quick as possible. Okay. So, yeah, I think we've touched on a lot of good points. So we touched on the microbiome, the bacteria concern, the nutrition concern. Um, I'm also just thinking with some dogs, uh, the actual eating element of itself when they, with their teeth and their structure, is that a benefit of the raw food too, That at, at how they're actually having to bite into the food differently versus a kibble? Does that, does that come into play? That is super interesting. This is really good. Now, firstly, the fact that they're not getting a load of starch in their mouth actually accelerates the gastric um, delivery in the gut. So it improves their their digestion. And this is the irony that people don't always get their head round. They say, oh, it's raw. But feeding them raw and carnivorous increases the stomach acid, so it lowers the pH, which means that pathogenic bacteria get stopped in either the mouth or in the stomach more often than not before they populate the gut. And if they do get into the gut, whether it's the small or the large intestine where it should be, assuming the dog doesn't have SIBO like lots of humans, um, it's kept in check by the diversity of other bacteria. So this is why your dog gets to drink in a dirty puddle or run around on the beach. It's disgustingly fine. So that's point one. Point two is if they're fed a kibble diet, that amount of starch in their mouth often leads to decay because ultimately starch is sugar. You know, we're not talking about beneficial resistant starches which feed microbiomes. We're talking about fast inflammatory sugars which can create gum disease and tooth decay and dogs inevitably have far better teeth on raw than they do on kibble so i think that probably answers your question Mm. yeah because that's another common uh, thing i think people take their pets to the vet for is your dental health too so i'm just looking at at a benefit of the raw food diet for pets is that it could improve their, their the teeth structure too 
Yeah, totally. Um, if you think, I mean, the mechanicals of it, it, the bones that we put in there have gone through a very fine grill so that it's already super available. As in, the dog doesn't need to masticate and break that bone down. You know, we do a selection of treats to develop that kind of jaw strength and improve dental health as well. But the actual bones which go in to avoid any, you know, broken teeth, because dogs wolf things down, uh, appropriate word used, um, r- rather than sit and savor it over a glass of dry, dry farm wine. You know, <laughs> it's like, whoa, I've snorted that. What's next? Yeah. But the, the, the simple way to look at this is, what do you think somebody's teeth would look like if you fed them on a high-sugar, highly-processed diet versus somebody who went on to a paleo template? The difference here is that, or the, the mitigating factor, the nuances, are that with dogs, we need to be sensitive to the fact that they are carnivorous, so they will totally thrive on an all-protein diet, albeit one which is rich in healthy fats. So just because we call it protein, I don't mean the macros are solely protein. You know, it's protein-derived carnivorous with a little bit of additional things like raw carrot, etc., which feed the microbiome. And it gives an antioxidant content without spiking insulin. So exactly the same as a, as a healthy paleo template. Um, and the other thing is we need to be certain that certain foods are slightly toxic to dogs, whereas they might not be to humans. So that's things like chocolate. You wouldn't put chocolate in your raw food? No, no, not even in the deluxe Christmas edition. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. <laughs> Puppies aren't just for Christmas. Well, they won't be for very long if you think that. <laughs> So I'd like to get into that now too. So we've, I think we've, we've covered a lot of the, the basics of the benefits of raw food. But so a lot of people might be thinking, as you just mentioned earlier, you've got some puppies. Would you? How do you? Would you like you, to see one, Gary? Will that make your podcast even more fun? Would you for like sure. To yeah. Put, yeah. Put a puppy on. People. Wait right there. I'll go get you a puppy. What kind of person could deliver on this? So Gary, do excuse the delay while I go and find our puppy prop. So this beautiful young lady is Bear, so-called, because she looks like one of those Japanese snow bears, but she was also born when we could actually see the Big Dipper right over the house. And she's two weeks old, and she's raw-fed, and she's growing like bamboo. Hello. (laughs) Hello, how are you? There you go. There's a little puppy yawn for you. Oh, she looks very happy. (laughs) Oh, she is. She's super chill. Yeah. So, how does it work then? So, the the mother's going to deliver the litter, um, and so the the puppies will be, you know, breastfeeding off the mother there. But you've you mentioned the this puppy's two weeks old and she's already getting exposed to raw food. Like, so how, when 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 does the owner introduce it? Well, as soon as possible. I mean, there's never a good time or never a wrong time to introduce. Sorry, babe. Uh, there's never. A, um, she's a little bit camshaft. Um, there's never a a wrong time to introduce healthier food. And this is, I find, really um, conflictual and nonsensical, is quite often we hear from some people in animal medical healthcare 
saying, well, actually, the dog's immune system's not up to it, or it can't digest it, or um, not just after surgery. It, it just doesn't add up. It makes no logical sense whatsoever. Uh, lowering inflammation and improving mitochondrial efficiency is always going to help people recover quicker. Same thing dogs. So if your dog's just had an operation and you think that giving it highly processed junk food is going to help it recover quicker, well, I, I disagree. You know, yeah. I politely and respectfully totally disagree. So to answer your question about puppies, um, Kismet, my dog, she's currently on a raw diet, supplemented with some like things like raw egg yolks in the shell and lots of sardines and some coconut oil and some krill oil. And she will be processing that into highly nutritious dog milk, <laughs> yet to be marketed. <laughs> Raw organic dog milk. Stop mm. me and buy one. We can make our own kefir. Um, and then uh, as these get weaned off, I've actually sourced some um, organic raw, and it's all homeopathic, uh, goat's milk from my neighbor here in southern Spain, who's got a huge raw goat farm, or sorry, goat farm, and I'm making kefir and going to wean them on that for a while to help them, help the microbiome even more, uh, along with the raw dog food. Okay. And, and so the, fo the formulation for puppies, is it any different than the adult formulation? Uh, it is. And, you know, I think it's mainly down to the fact that it's ground even finer just to make it easier on that digestion. Okay. All right. And I, I'm also interested then, so we've, we've, with puppies, it sounds like it's a good idea, you know, to start feeding them um, from the get-go. Um, is there another transitional phase? Um, I'm not sure, like from puppies to teenagers to the mature um, pet adult pets is it or is it is it sort of like you just get puppy food and then you get adult food uh it is i mean the, i guess the differentiation being that one is in a huge growth phase um puppy's been in a huge growth phase there's also a big debate at the moment that older dogs need a lot more protein um do you think i could maybe put bear down yeah, i'll be back fine. with you in one second gary thank you there we go, Gary. That was a little bit of an unexpected puppy, just puppy presence. Um, so we were talking about the difference between puppy food and adult food. One is ground a lot finer to make it even easier on the puppy's digestion. Uh, there are a couple of other components, and to be honest, you've caught me slightly on the back foot. I can't remember all of them other than they're designed to help the, and support the puppy in the growth phase. Transitioning onto these foods, it's always the right time to do it. Mm. It's the, uh, if we look at this from a human perspective, there's never a wrong time to improve the, your diet. So saying, well, actually, I just need to get through this box of junk food before I start adding more vegetables into my diet doesn't make sense. You know, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a child, whether you're in a growth phase, whether you're in a recovery phase, or whether you're in a, a, a geriatric phase, a healthy diet will always work with you and with your biology rather than against you. Um, I think we were just talking as well about in elderly dogs, there's a bit of a chat at the moment about them needing more protein. Yeah, and that's now, what I found interesting because... 
that same debate happens in humans about sarcopenia and muscle loss. And actually, as the older we get, the more protein requirements we have. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing is sort of happening in dogs. Yeah, and I, I don't know enough about this. And this is based on hunches, guesstimates and extrapolations rather than actuality. So I stand to be corrected. I think it's more to do with our finite number of digestive enzymes, both humans and dogs, and our ability to assimilate protein. So I think it's a combination of lack of stimulus, uh, be it in the form of activity or, or whichever, uh, information, and ultimately a lack of digestive enzymes to break the proteins down into accessible amino acids to ensure assimilation which is why I'm a fan of adding collagen or gelatin or things like that into some dog's food, but also supplementing with digestive enzymes, exactly the same as we do with humans. Um, if you look at H. pylori in humans, it's super prevalent. And the rough thumb rule is if people are in the 70s, about 70% of their demographic will have H. pylori. The first thing H. pylori does is lower the acid level, which means it's very difficult for them to digest and assimilate protein. So I think it's more to do with this, with people not exercising, same thing dogs, than it is to do with age. Okay. And so that's a few, because you've mentioned that a few times about the enzyme process. For pet owners listening to this, is that how would they know when to add in the enzyme component for their pet if they're trying to transition them onto pet onto raw pet food? I, I think there's always a time to pulse in digestive enzymes, both in humans and in dogs. Improving your digestion is always going to benefit you. Now, does that mean you need it all the time? No. Uh, for instance, in humans, you've seen lots of chat about people metabolizing fats differently. For instance, if they're APOE4, the apolipoproteins, um, and it gives them an increased risk of Alzheimer's and various things. I, I think, you know, if that's your genetic signature, then supplementing with a decent lipase so you can at least digest the fat and mycelizing it as per like a famous coffee will always help you because then you're not digesting so much as absorbing. Um, however, I think uh, it, it is interesting. Um, is this something that someone can go to their vet and buy digestive enzymes for their dog or is this more a uh, health food shop for pets that you have to go this route? Uh, yeah, so sorry, I, I, I did slightly lose my thread, Gary. I think basically, yes, there's always a good time to improve your digestion. And if people have got any digestive issues whatsoever, or their pets have, then throw in some digestive enzymes. It's as simple as that. Whether it's itchy skin, whether it's IBS, whether it's like perceived SIBO and bloating, uh, there seems to be a real focus on throwing in probiotics, which of course is super beneficial. But for instance, if you've got SIBO, it could be making the bloating worse. So improve the digestion process first and foremost and focus on the microbiome. Yeah. And this is when um, 
I was at a recent uh, agricultural show and there was someone who was uh, showing raw pet food at the show and yeah. they were mentioning a, a, a whole bunch of benefits and one of them was flatulence in the in the pet too and oh, it's totally and so it sounds like a, a benefit what I like what you just brought in there about the probiotics you would think oh no if you've got you know problems with your gut that's and all this flatulence or this <laughs> bad smells coming out from your pet it's not the probiotics route that you want to be going here. This is another reason that the digestion issue is is a problem in your pet, and this is what the raw food is, and and then maybe supplementing the enzymes is going to help assist in that problem. Oh, entirely, and I'm a huge fan of probiotics and of populating the microbiome. But like anything, it's a tool in the toolbox, and it's not always appropriate. You know, I don't want to hang a mirror with a power drill. Um, or unless I want to break it. So if there are these issues, then simply spinning your wheels with more and more probiotics when the issue is ability to digest the food and maybe a translocation of beneficial bacteria into the small intestine, then this could be potentially creating more issues at the moment. So Dog's digestion inevitably improves on raw. I think we've had, well, a couple of cases, and literally a couple of cases in the last two years where people said, my dog's not thriving on it. And it's turned out the dog has had severely, severely compromised digestion, which was increased and improved straight away with digestive enzymes. And I mean, this is out of X. I can't even think about how many thousand meals sold. I mean, it's not even a percent of a percentage. But I acknowledge it to be transparent. Um, and so please. I was just thinking then, so it sounds like, yeah, the, the sort of the side effects and the problem solving is is it it's not too big for a pet owner then. It's like this warrior thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to problem solve this? But if they do have a problem they, they, um, and they happen to be based in the UK and, and buy Bella and Duke products, they can contact the company and sort of get that assistance? We, we, our, our mission, without going too far into it, is just to save dogs' lives. And that's what we're all about. We know that we have to be commercial, but we know that to actually really serve the community and improve dogs' lives and save them, then really we need to be focused on being as honest with ourselves as possible and as transparent as to what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and how we can help people to progress and grow. So we've got a thriving Facebook group, which is super open, super welcoming, and people exchanging anecdotal N equals one experimentation and effectively biohacking all of these issues that we've got with dogs. And one thing I put on last week was, what's the number one symptom that you wish you could address with your dog? And we're going to go through and do a series of podcasts using some holistic vets and some other people way more erudite and interesting than me and basically say, okay, what are the top five things that people can do to solve pancreatitis, to get rid of itchy skin? Uh, but inevitably, digestion's improving. Flatulence goes away with dogs when they're on a raw diet, if it's the, the correct one. And typically... Uh, the stools are actually a lot smaller as well. It's a lot more like if you were out in the woods and to see a wild animal stool, it looks more like that rather than this huge mound of undigested processed kibble. But that's all we need to lapse into here. 
Mm. Um, so if people want to know more, the Facebook group is easily the way to go. Uh, customer service, I think they call themselves the customer lush team. Uh, <laughs> they're really super friendly. Um, but yeah, the, the Facebook group, there are so many people sharing these success stories and inspiring others. Exactly the same in biohacking forums. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's great for uh, just to know that people have that support structure in place there too. So, just when we're coming up to the the end of the um, our episode here, I just want to get maybe a couple of more questions in. But please, so the raw the, the raw food diet then is it applicable for all breeds, um, or do you, as you said, that maybe different breeds might need different requirements? Uh, so I'm just thinking, if I had to buy a raw food product, um, how do I know that this product is is best for my my type of dog my breed of dog well separate and distinct to branding there's an 80 10 10 rule which basically people are generally adhering to and that's 80 percent me 10 percent bone 10 percent offal and that's called the bath template which is a terrible acronym uh we kind of take that and we've tweaked it we Rather than obsessing about ratios per se, we're we're more obsessing about quality. It's roughly that. There is a small component of fruits and vegetables in there to increase antioxidants and also to increase soluble fibers, which help the dog digest, pass, and also feed the microbiome. Now, we don't have definitive peer-reviewed research on that. Uh, as much as we don't have definitive peer-reviewed research that uh, a high-fat diet will save us from cancer, but we know like Dr. Dom D'Agostino is doing great work on that. Um, and we can see the results, albeit we've not seen them over 10 years. Same story here. Um, inevitably, I don't know a single person who's not seen massive improvements on it. So if they want to find a food, look for the quality, look for the absence of allergens, because having a raw dog food and then having it packed out with some starchy vegetable protein is a pitfall, it's a trap. It's almost like mixing a high-foot diet with an orange juice in the morning. You, you have no benefits of either. So be assiduous about following that. Uh, be assiduous about the quality. And also, one thing we've noticed that dogs are sensitive to, similar to humans, is insurance devoid of lectins. I'm sure you've done, you've read all the work by Dr. Stephen Gundry. A lot of dogs getting inflammation are susceptible to lectins. And that can be a bit more pronounced in some breeds than others. And depending on health, there's not an exact science to it. Look for something which isn't filled with lectins. Look for something which is being quality sourced, human grade, and look for something which is devoid of. If it's got powders and additives into it, why? Dogs don't do this in the wild. I think those would be my main main steers when looking for raw dog food. Well, that's some great tips for for someone who's who's now going to start entering that world. I think, and I'm just trying to visualize because I haven't seen uh, the product when it gets delivered. But you said that you freeze the food and then you ship it. So, um, how does it get delivered to my house? Is it in a big cooler box in frozen stuff, or and then I have to de-thaw it and then feed my dog? Um, how does how does that work? 
Uh, the idea is that it comes in um, accessible packets, which are all flash frozen, delivered either using a cool wool. This is constantly evolving. We're trying to find the most environmentally friendly solution, which balances commerciality, practicality, and environment. And there's there's three or four plans in present uh, in play at present, but ultimately they get delivered. It's like, for instance, a cool wool can be recycled. It gets put in the box and they can be given back when the boxes are handed back, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it gets delivered and it's almost in like a, a ready meal tray, which can be thawed out. And then that gets used over the next day or two and just stored in the fridge. So it's taken out the freezer as it's required and it's just left there. And because there's regular deliveries, these are never frozen for a super long time. Okay, so it's and so with this, it's a subscription service where I'll get food delivered X amount of days or weeks yeah. or months or something. Yeah, whether it's once a week or twice a month or even once a month. So okay. you've got a constant turnover rather than uh, something sitting in deep freeze for three years, which we don't believe uh, is beneficial. Okay, great. And if if someone wants to actually try and make raw dog food themselves, is, is that a possibility? Because um, oh, I'm sure you'll have some pet owners who think, I don't want to buy it. I'd rather just make it for, for my dog locally where I'm listening. Of course it is. It, absolutely. Uh, it's totally. I mean, the reality is, if we were to look at this as a pragmatics exercise, it's a question of balancing cost, emotional bandwidth, and, and um, feasibility, accessibility to quality nutrients. Companies have already sourced those. If people feel they can do a better job, and I'm sure there are people who can, uh, by going to a local butcher or maybe they're on a game drive or something like this, or they work at a local farm, then great. Uh, finding, but it's very important to remember, same adage with humans, it's not so much about what you eat, it's what you eat, ate. So looking a little bit further than this is meat uh, can really pay dividends. So, yeah, you know, following those bath templates that we talked about earlier or species-specific diet, there's loads of guidelines online and there are lots of people who do a combination and use, for instance, like a Bella and Duke as a, a very easy get-out-of-jail super-healthy card and then when they have time and emotional bandwidth, they make some up themselves as well. Uh, you know, we're about the dog, not about the brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I, I just, I, I'm loving this topic because it's so fascinating. Again, that, that connection between pet owner and their pet. And again, that a lot of people listening to the show have, have been trying to get themselves healthy. But of course, those around them, they want to get healthy and the pets is one of those. Um, and there's so much crossover here, which is fascinating. So... Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking, yeah, you can have people on the carnival diets and they may have gone to the butcher and they've got, you know, these cuts, but they, they're thinking, could I give my dog some of these cuts too? Is it safe to give them? Of course it is. Absolutely. I mean, if a human can digest it, then a dog can double digest it pretty much. Uh, what is a good thing to do is one, understand your audience. That dog is not going to appreciate that grass fed steak in the same way you are. So it might be a good idea to chop it up because otherwise it's going to inhale it. And if it's huge, it's going to inhale it. And what you don't want is some kind of gristle or something getting stuck and the dog choking. What you do want is the dog being able to enjoy it and break it down. 
And the less digestive enzymes that dog has to use up to do it, the better. So grinding it up a little bit can help. Throwing in a little bit of seasonal local veg can help. Throwing in maybe a few berries. But the key in all of this is to ensure the dog stays on its carnivorous template and we're wishing to avoid spiking basically that whole insulin response. We want it to stay on a keto diet. Hmm. Yeah, again, I, I just love it. It's so fascinating that, as you mentioned there, the insulin problem and insulin and obesity and, and so many dogs are obese because potentially, yeah, they're getting insulin spikes just like the owner can. Well, can you imagine the bolus of insulin you must be dealing with? And people say, oh, wait. I see this with, with clients all the time who come to me, you know, for functional medicine. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm really exhausted by lunchtime. And they basically have super high inflammatory, um, <laughs> low fat milk and cereal. It's like, well, you, you basically, you're in a carb coma from, <laughs> from day one. You're on the insulin roller coaster. Yeah. And so, and unfortunately, yeah, that sounds like the pet can join them on that roller coaster ride. Well, and the pets, believe it or not, are even less equipped to deal with it because of their low amylase production. At least we've got a little bit of a fighting chance. Mm. So um, this is the point in the show where people will be wondering, okay, so what are some links and resources that um, I can either find out more about Bella and Duke or raw dog foods in general? Um, and if anyone has a pet and they might want to consult with you directly, is that even a possibility? Um. We are not doing so. Yes, let's answer. Let's answer these questions in order. Um, Bellarandube.com is our website. We've got a YouTube channel with a load of uh, videos on there explaining what we're doing, why we're doing, uh, why we're loving animal sourced omega 3 rather than flaxseed, uh, how to look at pancreatitis in your dog, things to address with that, itchy skin. There's a whole suite of podcasts on iTunes for Bella and Duke. There's YouTube channel. The website is a really good place to start, bellaandduke.com, exactly as it says on the tin slash delivery packet. Um, and the Facebook group as well. Always a decent point call. Why? Because rather than getting what we've just chosen to put on the website, you get to interact with people who are doing it and applying it. And we always try and make it as accessible as possible because our goal is to save dogs. Um, but it's, I always think it's better for a client or customer to see it from a customer perspective so they get an idea of the experience. Mm, brilliant. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge bombs about pet food and raw dog pet food and educating me because I'm so new to this. So I've tried to stumble my way through some common questions I think people might answer, but hopefully I've been able to answer some of or ask some of the questions that someone who would be like me would be new to this. Um, but you've given so many great actionable tips for today. Well, Gary, thank you for the invite. You know, frankly, from a selfish perspective, one, it was loads of fun great to meet you properly and two uh if we get to save even 10 dogs with this podcast then i consider it worth welcome well hopefully we're going to do that thanks again rowan yeah, absolutely thank you i look forward to seeing you again yeah.